I want to talk about holiness tonight. How's that sound? Most of the time people are like, ooh, holiness. Let's not talk about that because then I'm going to get convicted of stuff. There is some light. Let there be light. Um, but I want to give you, in the context of holiness, some courage. And I want to give you drive tonight. I want you to, I want you, um, to leave this service with like excitement about what the Lord has put inside of you and how it's going to change the world around you. How's that sound? I think it sounds pretty good, or else I wouldn't be talking to you about it. Here's the reality. You were created for great things. And none of you are excited about that, okay? You were created, you were crafted, you were designed by the most creative being to ever be, that ever will be, for really awesome things. Like, he, he made you really special. And some of the greatest things that will ever be done will be done and be completely unseen. That's another thing that we're not real excited about. Because we want to, you know, you do something awesome and what's the first thing you want to do? First, let me tell it, take a selfie. Like, we want, we want people to know when we do something awesome. I, I've been doing a lot of working out this summer, well, really the spring and summer. Uh, actually, today, as of today, in the last four months, I started kind of a, a fitness journey four months ago, and uh, as of today, uh, it's been exactly four months since I started, and I've lost 70 pounds. So, hey. Um, but that didn't happen, like, in front of a bunch of people. That happened doing a bunch of sweaty workouts in my living room and in my bedroom and going to the gym and not eating things that I really wanted to eat. It all happened in, in the secret place. The great thing about the, the Lord is that he actually showed us how to maximize our rewards because he's all about rewarding us, which I love that about him. A lot of people are like, well, you need to just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Well, no, that's not how Jesus does things. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, so we call it, um, he actually points out, if, when you're fasting, fast like this so that your reward will be great. When you give, Give in a way, in this specific way, so that your father who is in secret will be able to reward you publicly. I think that's pretty cool of the Lord. That he, he, he likes seeing you do things in secret. And one of the names of God is your father who is in secret. He sees what you do in the privacy of your life, which can be scary if you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. But it's really awesome if you're, if you're actually living a life before God and building a history with him. Uh, I heard somebody say, right here, I, I read it the other day. I think it was Bill Johnson that said it. Uh, if you want to change history, have history with God. If you want to, I think you might have said, if you want to make history, make history with God. If you, if you want to have an impact on the world, have, have him impact you in the secret place. Have you guys ever heard of the Delta Force? The Delta Force are, are uh, these guys uh, that are kind of the thankless branch of the uh, military that don't actually exist. Um, they, they're the guys that, uh, like SEAL Team 6, they were part of Delta Force. A lot of these, um, they're, they're the guys that have gone through the crazy stuff and get do all the black ops that never... The guy who, who took out Osama bin Laden, he was Delta Force. They, they don't know, like, these people don't exist. And they're trained really well to not exist. 
and to not be seen, and they get told to do things that nobody's ever, they're, they're not going to know about. They might not even, they might, they'll get like, you get the purple heart of bravery, and we're like, yay! But we have to take it back, because if anybody knows that you have that, you're going to get killed. A lot of our righteousness is lived so much before the Lord, and the way that to, to maximize our reward is to actually live a life in God that, that is not before men, but is before God alone, and therefore has real impact. God wants us to have a life before him where we, I mentioned it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, give so that your left hand and your right hand don't know what's going on. Like, there's my tithe, there's my offering. You know, like, the, the, that, that's the kind of thing that, that the Lord is looking for, that, that we would bless people and take care of the widow and the orphan. That's true religion. Not, not in a, let's create a ministry to minister to the orphan and the widow, but let's actually just take care of people who can't take care of themselves. Let, let's, go, let's go on uh, Saturday mornings. We have prophetic teams here. How many of you have ever gotten prophetic ministry on Saturday morning here? That's a, it's a great way to, to get ministered to by the Lord. Do you know who doesn't get a lot of thanks for that? The people who get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and spend time with the Lord before that so that they're, they kind of have the anointing for prophecy for that and they show up and they wait for somebody to, to come and sometimes nobody comes and sometimes a ton of people come and they're prophesying for three hours straight and they're exhausted afterwards or sometimes there's just one person that shows up for two hours. But the Lord sees that and he, he sees faithfulness and because he is faithful and true and that's his nature and you're displaying his nature, you being faithful in the little things, he goes, you're being like me, I'm going to bless that. But we're, we're like the Delta Force operators. We get no recognition except for behind closed doors and really... Do you really want to have recognition? I mean, we all want recognition from people, but what better recognition than from the Father himself, right? So back to holiness. I don't really know how I was going to tie that in, but I think that was just a really good thing that some of you needed to hear. So I'll give you that for free. <clears throat> we, won't have, we won't take up another offering for that one. How's that sound? What makes something holy? That is a rhetorical question. I was just seeing if anybody would actually answer. Holiness uh, has way more to do with the nature of a thing than it does with the actual action that's, that's being done or the actual object. Like, this podium is not holy just because it's made out of acacia wood and pipes that were crafted by monks or something crazy like that. Like, it would, this, this thing has holiness based on the nature of it. Jesus was actually described as holy by an angel before he was even a zygote. You know what a zygote is? A zygote is like, the, as soon as you pick, like, the two pieces of biological matter that need to come together to make a human being, boop, zygote. Before that ever happened, Jesus was called holy. <clears throat> What's that tell you? Holiness cannot be about uh, actions. If, if you are holy because of your actions, then Jesus could not be described as holy because he hadn't done any actions. He hadn't refrained from sin yet. He hadn't done any miracles yet. And so, if actions actually determined holiness, 
then there's something, there's a disconnect here. Holiness has to do with the nature of a thing or a person or an action. When we're called saints in the New Testament, the word there is, is the word hagias, uh, and it's the same word that, that we get uh, holy or sanctified. It's the same word used uh, in different ways. But so when you, I like to call people saints. I don't like to call people Christians, little Christ. That's cool. And it's actually, it was actually used as a derogatory term in the first century. Oh, the little Christies. Like, that's what, they were like, ah, Christies, rah. Like, that's, that's where the term Christian came from. But scripture calls us saints, holy ones. Your nature, because just like Jesus, he was holy, not because of what he had done, but because of the nature that was inside of him, he was able to go, all right, the, the angel was able to say, he is holy because he is born of the spirit. The nature of this, of this being that is about to come into, into existence in, in zygote form and develop into a baby and then a man and he's going to die on a cross and he's going to save us from, from our sin and we're all of a sudden going to be changed into a completely new nature. The reason he's holy is because his nature is from the Holy Spirit. He's born of the Holy Spirit. And when you were born of the Holy Spirit, when you received the Holy Spirit, your nature changed as well. That's why you can actually say... You can turn to the person next to you and you go, you're holy. Do that. Tell the person next to you, you're holy. All right, now, now turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm holy. Oh, it's a, little, it's a little harder to say, isn't it? It's a little harder because we think holiness has to do with like we've got these things figured out, but it's not that, you, you, it's, it wouldn't be hard for you to say, I'm human, right? But you're a part of the, the new race of humanity, there's two races on the earth today. There's humanity and there's the saints. I think it's pretty cool. This word uh, hagias or, or holy that, that we get saints from, that we get uh, holiness or sanctification from, it actually just means special. It means purposeful. It means intentionally set apart for something specific. It's the nature from, from which uh, something is birthed that makes it holy. So like it, something is, is holy because it has a purpose behind it. it is, uh, it's special. It has, it's purposeful. It's intentionally set apart for something special. We are holy because we are born of the Spirit like Jesus. It's not what you do that makes something holy. It's actually the motivation or the why behind what you do that makes it holy. I'm going to take this out of like you are holy to what you do becomes holy, not based on what you do, but why you're doing it. We need to know, we need to know our why. 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. When you pray about something, have you ever like, prayed about something and you're like, all right, I know this is the, you like, try to make a decision and you're like, God, I, I know this lines up with your word. I'm praying, God, anoint it. And you're like, yes, I feel good about this. And you go do it. And there's something different about doing an action like that, isn't there? Have you ever experienced this? Anybody experienced this? Or is it just me that has done this? There's four people in the room where they're nodding, so we'll go with that. Um, there's, there's a holiness that comes when you are realizing that you have agreed with God and, and that heaven is, is giving you the thumbs up on something because there's a purpose behind it. Think of these examples. 
And again, we're talking about how the, the why or the motivation behind your actions is what makes something holy. If you eat simply because something tastes good, it's not necessarily holy, right? But if, I, if I'm eating something so that I can have energy, so that I can serve the Lord, if that's the reason why I'm eating, I'm like, I'm going to eat this burger. And if you're me, not with a bun, but with lettuce. I'm telling you, side note, I went to Jimmy John's today. If you get one of their, one of their subs and you get it as an unwitch, it cuts, it cuts out literally 452 calories out of the, out of the, the food that you're eating. I mean, I'm talking mind blown. I was like, this thing could have been 800 calories, but it's not. I can have two of them now. This is awesome. But if, I, if I'm eating be, because, I, oh, I need, I need this, this energy because I'm living my life unto the Lord, and if I don't eat this, I'm going to be blah, and then I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm going to be a pain in the butt to everybody. It's different. If I actually have that why behind everything that I'm doing. Example number two, if I'm working uh, a job just to buy things, the whole reason I'm, I'm working wherever I'm working is so I can buy cooler things. I'm going to get a cooler house. I'm going to get a cooler car. I'm going to get cooler electronic stuff, like clothes. If that's the reason you're working a job, that's just like everybody else. But if you're working a job to provide for a family, which God loves family. God's all about family. If you're working a job so you can have more seed for sowing and taking care of people and actually orphan and the widow, taking care of them, those, those kinds of things, all of a sudden your motivation lines up with the character of God and, and your, your motivation then creates a holiness or a sanctification or a, a specialness, a, a purposefulness to what you're doing and all of a sudden, the same action that you were doing the week before, all of a sudden, you can call it holy because your motivation is different. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? I'm trying to give you courage because so many people are like, the highest calling is to, I'd rather be, I actually had somebody say this to me this week, I was meeting with them and said, I'd rather be cleaning a church than doing my stupid job right now. And I was like, Why? Well, because, they, like, and they didn't say this, but this was in their thought process. Well, because then I'm serving the Lord. I started digging into him. I said, well, what are you doing at work? He's like, well, the, this, I've been ministering to these people, that, and they've been, uh, these girls have, like, kind of come to the Lord, and they're, I'm prophesying over them, and I'm like, you're already serving God in the world. That's exactly how he set things up. He pull, just like Abraham, he pulls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, makes him special, sends him back in. Now, create the, the, the people of God. You got pulled out of humanity and you got changed in your nature and then he sends you right back in so you can save them. We're supposed to save the world. Global conquest, that's our job. I think it's a pretty cool job, personally. Check this out. So, um, Ezekiel 44 
It's it's so awesome because like Ezekiel 44, there's this whole deal with the, the priests of Zadok and uh, God says to them, hey, when you go in and, and you're, they're the only ones that are actually being uh, faithful to what the Lord has called them to do. It's in a time of apostasy when all of the nation of Israel is like falling away and like going into crazy town. All of a sudden, he, he says, hey, you guys have been faithful. When you go in before me, I want you to actually change clothes and put on new clothes because if you come in with your normal clothes and you minister to me and you touch the Holy One, or you're in the presence of the Holy One and that touches your garments and then you go out and you're wearing the same garments, all of a sudden that holiness is going to rub off on other people. And they will get holiness without the relationship with God. And that's not okay. And that's in the old covenant. And that's about garments. How much more in the new covenant and with us can that be true that our lives become holy simply because we are doing the things that we're doing and we have had our nature changed into being holy. I don't care what you're doing as a job. You don't have to be working. Did you know that like less than 3% of the body of Christ is actually called to do ministry occupationally? That's just an arbitrary number. It's not like I've done research and like asked the Lord exactly. 2.87% of the body of Christ is called. I don't have that kind of encounter with the Lord. But I'm talking a very few people are actually supposed to be supported by uh, and, and just doing ministry, just giving themselves to ministry, ministering to the body and ministering to other people. We're all supposed to be doing ministry in the world. Stop hating your job. Start changing your job. Go, if you work at Starbucks, go change some people's lives at Starbucks. If you work a corporate job that you hate, you probably hate it because you're not lined up with God's heart for it. Sorry, did I rebuke like eight of you in the room right now? <laughs> go be a light. Did you know, okay, so... Who's the light of the world, scripturally? Yeah, it's a mixed question, because he says, I'm the light of the world, and then later on he says, you're the light of the world, because he actually changed our nature to be the very light that he became only in the world. 1 John 4, I think 17, maybe 517, uh, says, as he is, so are we in this world. The very nature that he has, seated at the right hand of the Father, full of glory and power, in a unapproachable light, all that crazy good stuff, right here. But I'm in the world. He's not here yet. Or again, yet. He will be. But you're him right now. Our lives become holy simply because we are doing the things that we are doing. In your work, your work is holy because you're holy. Mowing the lawn is holy because you're a holy person mowing the lawn. In relationships, your friendships with people are holy because you are holy. Your marriage is holy not just because God calls marriage holy, but because you're holy and you're in that marriage. Yeah. 
you're a thermometer, or you're, you're a thermostat, not a thermometer. When you go into a situation, you change things. You are not changed by them. To the degree that you believe that. Playing ultimate Frisbee on Sunday afternoons becomes holy because you are holy doing it. Sin does not become holy because you're doing it. That is the only exception to this rule. But everything you do becomes holy because you are holy and you are, you are manifesting your holiness in what you are doing. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, and Ephesians 6, 7 says basically the same thing, almost word for, for word, actually. You kind of read it and you go, Paul, did you just like copy and paste on the papyri? I don't know what's going on here. He says, uh, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to, unto the, in the name of the Father. Do, do, whatever you're doing, do it for God. And it actually anoints it as holy and puts favor on your life. The moment we, we start to segregate, segregate or separate our, our holy life, quote-unquote, and our normal life, that's the, that's the moment that we limit the scope of God's influence in our life and will inadvertently miss encounters with him in those things. If the only time that you, you consider yourself spending time with God, I'm spending time with God now. I'm, I've got my holy face on. I've got my Bible in front of me. and I'm, I, I've shut the door to my closet and I have a little light in my closet. And I've cleared it. This is my holy time. And I'm, I'm playing my guitar or my mandolin or my piano or my, my lyre, whatever. Whatever instrument you play, your oboe, unto the Lord. That's your holy time with the Lord then you completely have you have completely missed the point of Christ in you the hope of glory the point of of Christ in you the hope of glory is Christ is in you so you've got hope to constantly walk in the glory of, of God that's why we can send people to the brothels in Dallas and we're not worried about them getting stained they should be worried about us getting them saved that's why we can go to secular concerts and we're, we're not worried about getting stained by the world because our holiness is more powerful than the world's unrighteousness. If, you've got a, if, if, your, if your level of, of understanding of, of righteousness is that you can be, be, cha be changed and tainted by the things of the world, you have an anemic weak understanding of your holiness. Your holiness is like dish soap being squirted into a bucket of, of mud. It doesn't make it any cleaner. The soap, or you drop a, a bar of soap into the dirt, all of a sudden you've got a dirty soap, which doesn't make sense. But that's our mentality of, of righteousness and holiness. That's not what it is. You're scary to darkness. There's a reason that we're called the light of the world. We're sent into the domain of darkness. 
we could we could turn all the lights off in here and, and I could just have my my laptop right here and eventually our our eyes would adjust and that would be more than enough light for you to see what's going on in the room. Because light is powerful. I I was up in Michigan uh just a week was it a week ago, two weeks ago, preaching and I, I was talking about how perfect love casts out fear. I started to think about this where if you think of fear, and if you've ever had an encounter with a demon of fear, the de- a demon of fear is actually a really small little guy, like in terms of what they, how they actually, the size of them, but they create this smoke around them that is so, like, you have no idea. You're like, oh my gosh, fear is in the room. You're like, ah, I'm going to die. And your brain goes crazy, and you just get into stupid town, and you don't know how to make decisions. <laughs> but perfect love is the wind of the Holy Spirit. If we have just a little bit of wind, you turn on a fan, just just a light fan that's barely working by something that, that is smoking, what happens to that smoke? It dissipates. It gets pushed away. You don't have to think about perfect love casts out fear like, ah, I cast you out in Jesus' name. Ah, violent. No, it doesn't need to be violent because it's it already, by the very nature of of what love is, is it pushes out anything that's in its way. Fear is pushed away, and, and you don't even notice it. You ever been by a campfire, and you know which way the wind is blowing because it's going right in your face? It doesn't even need to be like a strong wind. I want to say that this statement that I said earlier one more time because I think it's, it's just so good. The moment we segregate our holy life from our normal life, we limit the scope of God's influence in our life and we inadvertently miss encounters with him in those areas of our life. Find him in everything. He has hidden himself, not only in people, but in every action that you participate in in life. I'm going to say something edgy. Are you guys ready? Even in moments where you are participating in sin, God is right there ready to encounter you. He is not afraid of sin. He is not afraid of the moments that we participate in sinful actions. He doesn't go, ooh, sin, I got to get out of here. He is perfect love. He has, there is no fear in God. There's no hesitation in God. If you don't think he can encounter you in a movie because it's, it was directed by somebody who doesn't know the Lord, then you know what's going to happen? You're not going to go see that movie and you won't get that kind of encounter from, from the Lord in there. Because you have, you have it's not that he, is, he has been limited by the, the salvation or non-salvation of that person who directed it, your ability to encounter him has been limited because you have rejected his ability to speak through that thing. If you, if you don't think that he can encounter you in a meal, then you will miss out on the meal anointing for tasting and seeing that God is really good in sushi. 
if you don't think that, that you can encounter God in a coworker, then you will miss the Jesus that is hidden in that coworker or that family member or that exercise routine or that intellectual or academic Bible study. Oh, that's religious. We're not going to do that because God's not in that. God is not a God of the mind. He is a God of the spirit. No. God is not limited by our walls. We are limiting our own receptivity to his presence by our own stupidity and our biases against things. It's good in here, huh? I think so. Let me say something. Work is good. It is good to work a job and do meaningful work. The problem is we, we, we think, oh no, uh, when, God, when God put the curse on, on Adam, he said, you're going to work the ground and it's going to be hard and you're da 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 That's the curse. Work is a curse. We're supposed to just live by the Spirit and just soak all day and just love on Jesus. One of the first things that God told man to do was to work the garden. The reason, that the problem is when it becomes toil. Part of the curse was that, we would, that man would toil over, the, over the, the soil. Toil the soil, it rhymes, it must be true. Toil means to do meaningless work or purposeless work. What did I say earlier was, was holiness? To be holy is something that's special, purposeful, or intentional. When we get into toil and we're doing something and we have no purpose, we don't know why we're in it, we don't know why we're doing it, we have no purpose in it, we're just like, you know, doing our data entry and trying not to think of homicidal thoughts about our manager or whatever. Trying to convince ourselves that it's actually okay to steal the, the company pens. And then getting convicted that we would even think about that. And then like, oh, I should, I'm going to read my Bible on, on, the, on the break. And we get on Facebook and we're on Facebook during our break. And we're like, ah, I was going to read the Bible. When we lose our, our reason for doing something, we actually enter, we put ourselves into that curse of toil. Because we need to have purpose, purposefulness, specialness, holiness on our work. This applies not just to work, but to all parts of our life. Uh, if we don't know why we're doing something, if you don't know why you're doing something, I have a solution for you. Stop doing it. Vince, that's way too, that's too simple. I, there's, I need to hear from the Lord. I need to have a, a plan in place. No. If you don't know why you're doing something, either figure out why you're supposed to be doing it or just stop doing it. Stop wasting your time. If people are putting requirements on you and you can actually say no to them, say no to them. If they're going to get offended, they're going to get offended anyway. You just won't have to be doing that thing and wasting your time. You can actually be spending your time doing something that you enjoy and that you encounter God in. Or 
Find out why God has you in it. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, people perish. If you don't have purpose in what you're doing, you will die. I don't know how much more serious it can get than perish. You know, when something gets shipped to you and it says on the box perishable, that doesn't mean like, oh, it could, it could be damaged easily. It means literally, if it's left by itself and it continues on and, and time keeps going, that thing will rot and start to not exist eventually. Perish. It will turn into dust. But being stuck in the present with no vision for the future will kill you. Without vision, people perish. It's not the, the thing's not going to stop. Your purposefulness in the job that you're doing is not going to stop and perish. You will perish. You will die. Your hope will continue to be deferred. Your heart will get sick. You will get death in your body and you will die. Or not, you know. The solution to this, other than stop, is find out God's purpose. Ask him his perspective on your current position in life. I I get this, I, I meet with people pretty regularly, and I have people call me pretty regularly. I've got this thing going on, Vince, I just need some... Um, I need some Vincedom. <laughs> and I, and no, literally, I've had somebody say that. Um, multiple people, actually. That, and I, I listen, and most of the time, my, my answer is, what's the Lord's perspective on this? Have you asked him? I don't know why I'm in this position. I don't know why this is happening to me. What's the Lord telling you? I um I don't know. Well, you should probably ask him first and not me first. <laughs> if you want to be a good counselor, let me give you some advice. Point people to Jesus. He is the counselor. If you if you put yourself in a place where you're you're the source of wisdom, you have actually become a mediator between God and man and that is a bad place to be in because you're trying to take the place of God, and that's called making yourself an idol. That's not a good idea. This will actually clear a vast majority of our frustrations if we actually find out the why behind what we're in. From his perspective, all of a sudden we go, oh, I'm in this dead-end job because he's trying to work patience in me. As soon as I learn patience, I can get promoted out of here? Then I'm going to lean into this patience, gosh dang it. Or maybe you're, maybe, and it's not like he doesn't want to tell you why you're there. He wants to promote you. He wants to reward you. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, the writer of Hebrews says. But when we have his why, everything becomes easier and clearer. God, why is this happening in my family's life? This is da 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 Don't stop at asking the question. Get the answer to that question. 
Because once you have that why, all of a sudden, oh, you know, you know why. You have his perspective. And beyond that, you, when you get the, the eternal age to come perspective, everything gets way clearer when you go, oh, everything I'm learning right now and going through right now is preparing my heart and my authority level and my understanding level so that I can actually reign in the age to come after the Lord comes back. I can endure all sorts of crazy crap if I know that, that it's, it's for the purpose of my brain getting reset so that I can have more authority in the age to come and actually be over entire nations or continents or planets or solar systems or galaxies or universi. That's not a word. We have to keep things in the context that God has it in. If you want to read a really good book on this, uh, Rick Joyner wrote this book called The Final Quest. And uh, it, it'll rock your dock for real. For real. You know, the, there's, there's a guy who, basically Rick ends up, through a bunch of different circumstances, ends up in the throne room, seeing all these people like the throne and seeing how close everybody is to God in the age to come. And he meets this guy way, 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 way in the back. I'm talking like where you can, you can, you know there's the throne up there, but you can't really see any details. And he's like, I would have thought you would have been up there. Because this apparently is a very famous theologian. He actually told our class when we were at Morningstar who it was. And if I said the name, you would go, they were way back there? No way. And that's, that was Rick's, like, why are you so far back? And he said, because I didn't really know him. I didn't, I, really, I didn't really encounter God and let him know me. Remember in uh, Matthew 7, he says, depart from me for not you never knew me. I never knew you. You didn't open up your life to me, is what Jesus will say to these people. But we have to, we have to in, our, in this keeping the eternal perspective of God, we have to keep hope in the forefront of our interactions and our passions. When we're doing something, when you're going after a goal, why are you going after it? If you don't know why, figure out why. And if your reason for doing something is really stupid, then stop doing it. <laughs> Keep, it, keep hope of God could in a moment break in and change your circumstance. He can in a moment teach you the thing that you've been trying to, to lean into to learn and then he can go, oh, okay, now you're ready for this next thing. Open door, boom, and you're moving on, just like that. So here's what I want to do as our little activation. Has this been helpful for you guys? Good. Life-altering. Um, I want everybody, I'm going to have you break up into groups of three to five uh, as soon as I'm done explaining what we're going to do. And then we're just going to, after you're done doing this activation, you can go home and live a great life and evaluate your, your actions and say, I'm not doing that anymore. That's a stupid thing that, <laughs> have a great life. Goodbye. Get out of here. Um,
this is what I want you to do. In groups of three to five, I want you to just, I'm not saying prophesy. I'm not saying hear from God. I'm saying speak into each other's life and speak life and hope and extravagance over them. If you want to get into the prophetic flow of it, that's fine. And, and just like declaring this is what the Lord's going to do, that's fine if that's how you're bent. But I don't want like a thus saith the Lord deal. Just like with the power of your mouth, speak life. This is what God's doing. Like he is, he's releasing favor on you and, and you don't even have to know their life or what's really going on in their life. Just speak life over each other, whatever that looks like. I'm not going to try to like give you exact like, you will say this and then you'll say this and here's the outline that you will go with. Do whatever feels like life on it. Does that make sense? Am I, am I unclear on that? So just break them into groups of three to five and then one by one, make sure everybody speaks life and extravagance and hope over every single person in the group.